Welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm your host, Max Kaiser. We have a great show for you today. With us we have Jan Schwarz, Associate Professor of Yiddish Studies at Lund University in Sweden. He's here to talk about his new book, Survivors and Exiles, Yiddish Culture After the Holocaust, published in 2015 by Wayne State University Press. Jan, thank you very much for being with us today. You're welcome. Uh, it's great to have you here. First off, could you tell us, how did you come to write this book? I'm a scholar of modern Yiddish uh, literature, and uh, my first book that came out in 2005 was about Yiddish life writing or autobiography. I've always been very interested in genres that are kind of a mix, hybrid forms of fiction and nonfiction, historical writing and poetry, I wanted to kind of expand the whole idea of what is literature and what is Yiddish literature. I always had this sense that what we're actually studying is a very, very tiny portion of this vast sea of works and texts out there. And so what I, what I did was I started to uh, uh, look at books published Yiddish books published after the, the Holocaust. And I came across a lot of authors and, that I've never heard of uh, in my uh, training, graduate school training. And uh, it, was a, it was very exhilarating to kind of discover this richness of uh, authors and works, and not only in the major centers, but also in minor centers. And that's really how it started. And I, uh, the other, that was one uh, aspect of it, how it grew out of my first book. But the other thing was that I was very interested in exploring what happened to Yiddish culture and literature after the Holocaust, uh, where there are some uh, paradigms of the Yiddish uh, disappeared, uh, Yiddish uh, died. My sense was that that didn't really add up when you looked at this enormous material that I came across. And uh, so that, that was the other impetus for this uh, project to map out Yiddish culture, particularly literary works and memoirs after the Holocaust. And so that's how the project started, basically. So you focus on the lives and works of seven major Yiddish writers as a way of telling the larger story of Yiddish literature and culture after the Holocaust. Uh, the first writer you look at is Avram Sutskever, who was from Vilna. Can you tell us a little bit about his life and, and his works? Yeah, Avram Sutskever is probably one of the truly great poets of the 20th century in, in any language. The thing is, though, that because he was a, a poet primarily, he's not that well-known outside the, the Yiddish world, although there has been increasing uh, attempts to make him available in translation in recent years. Sutskeva was very much a product of Vilna, Jerusalem of Lithuania, and uh, he was part of a modernist 
Yiddish trend in Vilna of young writers called Jung Vilna. And uh, they wanted to uh, modernize uh, and uh, reinvigorate Yiddish poetry. Uh, in particularly, he started out in the interwar period. Uh, other writers in that group uh, are uh, Chaim Grate, that is probably known uh, as a, he's, he was a very well-known prose writer later on after the Holocaust, and uh, uh, Lisa Wolf, which was also a very interesting uh, poet in Vilna. There were others. And this was the environment that Sutskiva uh, 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 started out in, uh, in, in, in Vilna in the, in the 30s, particularly late 20s and 30s. And the defining uh, event of his life, the defining uh, uh, period of his life was, of course, the, the Holocaust. He was in the Vilna ghetto and... Uh, and that experience really suffuses most of his poetry uh, 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 after, the, after the war. Uh, uh, he wrote a, a great deal of what we today call Holocaust poetry about his experiences in the Vilna ghetto. And uh, uh, some of these poems were actually written in the, in the ghetto. And uh, in, in, in my book, I'm trying to show how uh, this uh, new poetry that he created in, in a way, in a response to this catastrophe, uh, really became the paradigm of uh, post-war Holocaust literature. He was one of the main figures of, 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 of that period. And uh, he uh, survived, of course, and uh, uh, came to... Uh, Palestine in 1947 and a year later he uh, actually established a journal one of the long lasting and probably the one of the, the most high quality Yiddish journals after the Holocaust, the Golden Kate, which was named after a play by uh, Peretz, the great Yiddish writer uh, uh, of the early 20th century. And um, in this journal, the Golden Kate, he basically gathered all the great uh, Yiddish writers that some of them had survived the Holocaust, some of them uh, uh, had already escaped Europe in the 20s and 30s and even prior to that. And there was a, a whole cadre of of writers that I characterize as a transnational uh, literature um, that uh, uh, basically published in the Golden Decade during this period, starting in the late 40s until uh, it, it was terminated in 1996. Um, and Sutskever was, uh, in addition to being a great poet and a very prolific poet, uh, who pu published uh, many books of poetry and also some very fine books of prose uh, in a surrealistic kind of prose that he started to write in the 70s, mostly about his experiences in the Vilna ghetto and during the Holocaust. Uh, 
um, uh, uh, there's a volume called Die uh, von Schwarzapfeln, The Prophecy of the Pupils. He was a very versatile writer who worked in many different genres. And uh, in addition to his work as a creative writer, he was also a very important cultural figure who edited this journal for, for, uh, for a long time, for 45, six years. He's definitely one of the, 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 the pillars of Yiddish culture after the Holocaust. That's great. So in, in the next chapter, you focus in on uh, Hava Rosenfarb. Um, tell us about the significance and the context of her writings. She started writing seriously in the Lodge Ghetto, although she had also written pieces before, but in the Lodge Ghetto, that was really where she started out. And what's characteristic of, of the, these seven major writers that I focus on in my book is that they all kind of came into their own artistically, creatively during the war, in, either in the ghettos or uh, also in hiding in various places in Poland and in Eastern Europe. And uh, Hava Rosenfarb uh, was a poet. She started out as a poet and continued to write poetry, but uh, her real uh, uh, claim to fame in Yiddish literature is... Uh, a series of prose works, novels and memoirs about, mostly about uh, uh, the, the history of Lodge Jewry and including also the, uh, a very important work in three volumes, Das Boim von Leben, which was uh, uh, published in the 70s, which is a trilogy about the Lodge Ghetto. And it's a, a quasi-autobiographical uh, work. The main characters really model on Chava Rosenfarb herself. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a very detailed, very panoramic work about the Lodge Ghetto, basically. Uh, and uh, has been uh, translated into English. And I think also onto a couple of other languages as well. So in chapter three, you look at uh, Leib Rochman, who is most famous for his wartime diary of survival, uh, which was published um, as And In Your Blood Shall You Live, and uh, was eventually translated into English as uh, The Pit and the Trap. Um, Can you tell us a bit about uh, this work's very interesting publication history? Yeah, what's characteristic for a lot of what we today call Holocaust writers or that wrote, uh, writers who wrote about their experiences during World War II, either in the ghettos or in the concentration camps or in hiding or uh, in, in, in other uh, uh, environments, uh, what's characteristic of these texts are they were composed during very extreme circumstances. In the case of Leib, Roch, uh, Leib Rochman, uh, uh, he actually wrote a diary while he was in hiding with a Polish peasant uh, outside his hometown of Minsk, Mashovetsky, uh, which is uh, around 30, 
40 kilometers from Warsaw. And uh, he actually was in hiding with his uh, wife. He had married just uh, six months earlier in the ghetto. Uh, and uh, uh, they actually succeeded in escaping uh, the deportations of the Jews from the ghetto to the uh, uh, extermination camp and uh, managed to uh, uh, hide with a Polish peasant uh, uh, outside their hometown. And uh, he kept a diary. There were f- five uh, people in hiding, and uh, including his wife and uh, think brother-in-law, and then there was one or two other people as well. And they were in hiding there for uh, over 18 months and were totally dependent on the, on, 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 on the Polish peasant uh, for, for, of course, to give them food and shelter and protect them. Uh, and what he is, is basically doing in this work, which is really a, an unusual work, uh, even in the, in, in the context of Holocaust literature, is that he writes a diary uh, in hiding, and uh, and and uh, uh, this diary uh, he, t- he uses as a text that he later on after liberation starts to revise and and uh, 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 shape as a literary text. Uh, so. On one hand, it's a very authentic historical document about the circumstances of being in hiding uh, during this period. At the same time, it's also obviously very much shaped in an artistic way uh, where he, uh, he creates suspense. He has flashbacks. Uh, he... Uh, uh, he structures the text in way, certain ways that it reads often like a novel, actually. Uh, so this book uh, uh, came out in Paris, and it was actually uh, published by the uh, hometown organization of Minsk-Mashovetsky, the so-called Landsmannschaft in Paris, they subsidized the publication of this book uh, with a, 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 there was an afterword to the to the actual diary, which uh, was a history of the town, and it was kind of like a memorial section of the book. So the book as a whole can be uh, uh, considered a, an example of a memorial book, a Yiska book which became a very uh, important uh, genre of commemoration in the Jewish world. Uh, many of these books came out in the 40s uh, through, the, through uh, the 80s and 90s, mostly written in Yiddish and also to a certain extent in Hebrew and uh, very rarely in other languages, although there are examples of this, uh, English and uh, German uh, sections of these books, but it's it's very limited, mostly pre- predominantly in Yiddish and less so in Hebrew. That was 
Uh, and these books were published by groups of uh, uh, survivors and people who came from the same town in Eastern Europe. And this was an attempt to uh, create a, 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 a memorial to a particular Jewish community that had been uh, 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 annihilated during World War II. And so these books are a mix of all kinds of genres, cultural history, uh, a list of, of, of prominent people, uh, a history of the, uh, of the town, the Jewish settlement in the town. And very importantly, most of these books has a, a, a final section about the, uh, the way the town were uh, occupied and later on uh, uh, destroyed by the, the Germans and their collaborators. Uh, so, uh, like Rochmann's uh, work is definitely uh, perceived as part of that genre, although it also stands on, on its own as a very important literary work, uh, a very fine literary work, uh, about a group of people under very extreme uh, circumstances during World War Two. So, tell us a bit about the extensive Yiddish book series that was published in Buenos Aires um, between 1946 and 1966. How was it that Buenos Aires became such a major Yiddish cultural centre? And what was the content of these um, 175 volumes in this series. Yeah. Buenos Aires uh, was, was home to a, a diverse uh, community of, of, of Eastern European Jews that, that came already in the 20s and 30s uh, to, uh, to Argentina and even earlier on. But uh, prior to World War II, uh, the, particularly the Yiddish cultural activities were very local in character in Buenos Aires. What changed after World War II was that there was an influx of a couple of key people, survivors from, from uh, Warsaw, uh, uh, particularly Mark Turkov, who had been a journalist in the war, Warsaw and uh, uh, came to Buenos Aires and had the idea to create this book series that uh, as a as a, as a memorial to the to the Polish Jewish community, and uh, the other thing that enabled uh, him to do that in in Buenos Aires was, of course, the uh, it was a relatively affluent community and also a very homogeneous, uh, uh, cohesive uh, uh, community. They had resources for this kind of publication endeavor. It was a large endeavor. They, uh, uh, at the height of of, of this uh, book series, they published between uh, three and five books per year, and uh, uh, these were hardcover books uh, with index and uh, often illustrations. So it was a financially uh, a demanding and a project that required resources. And uh, there were resources, and more importantly, there was a will and a, a determination in, in the community in Buenos Aires 
to 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 uh, implement such a, a grandiose project. Although it was not easy when you, uh, which I also cite in in the chapter uh, from the correspondence of Mark Turkov, uh, it was not an easy thing uh, to pull off such a large project of books that basically uh, uh, addressed uh, all aspects of Polish Jewish life uh, in all genres, uh, folklore, uh, Hasidism, uh, 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 socialism, uh, memoirs and novels and poetry, all kinds of things. It was a it was a in in the literal sense of the word a library of books uh, about Polish Jewry from the past uh, through the Holocaust, and uh, uh, it became uh, popular. It was sold widely, not only in Argentina, but it was also shipped uh, overseas. And uh, we can see that it was actually distributed in Poland. After the war, in uh, in the forties and fifties, and uh, in some of the DP camps, and some of the books, the the uh, the profit, which was probably not that big, but there was certain profit from the sale of the books, went to relief work in the, mm. for example, in the DP camps, uh, uh, and and uh, that's noted in some of the introduction to the books. So this. Book series is a real uh, uh, important part of this uh, culture of com- commemoration that was created in Yiddish uh, uh, after the Holocaust. That's great. So, in, in the next chapter, you, you take a snapshot of the years uh, 1953 to 1954. Um, what sort of debates were happening within the world of Yiddish culture and politics um, in this year? Uh, on the one hand, you had the the development of uh, uh, assimilation and linguistic assimilation. The younger generation uh, turned away from Yiddish, particularly in in the United States. Uh, and this chapter focuses very much on New York. And Yiddish became increasingly a, a relic of the past. So, uh, but... At the same time, this is also an expression of a new mode of Yiddish culture, which is Yiddish culture in translation and uh, in, 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 in uh, uh, being made available, uh, not only in translation, but also in the form of anthologies, uh, in, in the form of uh, uh, influence on uh, American-born uh, Jewish writers in English. So they, this is a year where you see all these different uh, uh, streams of influences that really kind of converge in many ways. And then at the same time, uh, this year also uh, demonstrates the transnational character of this culture, where you had, of course, the main sender was in terms of quantity and output of, of books and cultural uh, activity was, of course, New York. But uh, there was a lot of, of, of interaction with uh, minor centers in, as I mentioned, Buenos Aires, in Montreal, in Warsaw, uh, where there was, uh, now it was behind the uh, Iron Curtain. There's this kind of 
uh, still a sense of a transnational uh, uh, cultural uh, system that uh, is intact and is continuing, although uh, uh, being very much under under pressure from uh, by by the factors I already mentioned from uh, uh, because of linguistic assimilation into other languages and uh, and and so on and so forth. So uh, in in this chapter, there's also a part of the chapter that really focuses on the on Sutskever's uh, activities in in Tel Aviv with the Golden Gate and and his attempt to he. Tr- there's a lot of traveling back and forth in this period where Yiddish writers, they, uh, they visit various uh, communities and lectures and uh, uh, poetry readings. And this is exactly what, po- uh, what Suskeva did. Uh, and uh, fortunately, we have a very nice and comprehensive record of a lot of, lot of these uh, lectures and uh, readings uh, 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 because the, many of these uh, recordings have been made available online uh, at the National Yiddish Book Center, um, particularly from Montreal. There was, it was a very important hub for Yiddish uh, writers in this period uh, at the Jewish Public Library in Montreal. Uh, uh, you had uh, all the major writers coming there uh, presenting their new work, uh, there were discussions, there were panels, there were seminars, and so on and so forth. So this is where Yiddish culture uh, uh, sustained itself and uh, continued its transnational scope uh, uh, after World War II in in these uh, centers uh, that that you know Buenos Aires, New York, Tel Aviv. Montreal, uh, Paris uh, for a period in the 40s and 50s and including Warsaw and, and also with after uh, the, the, the Thor with Khrushchev, there's also a certain minor revival of, of Yiddish uh, activity in, in the Soviet Union and the creation of uh, Sovietish Heimlam, a very important Yiddish journal uh, in the 61. Tell us a little bit about the work of uh, Aaron Zeitlin and Yankev Gutstein and what you call the poetics of retrieval and loss. Yankev Gutstein came from Lublin and uh, arrived in New York as a, as a teenager right prior to World War I and became one of the major exponents of Yiddish poetic modernism. He was the founder of the modernist group Insichristen, the introspectivists, in New York in 1921, and uh, wrote some uh, very experimental and uh, avant-garde uh, modernist poetry in the 20s and 30s, where he really uh, uh, basically uh, created in Yiddish uh, uh, a similar uh, uh, poetic uh, idiom that uh, T.S. Eliot had created uh, and Ezra Pound, and he was very much influenced by by these two Anglo uh, modernists uh, uh, at the same time here. Uh, 
Aaron Seidlin uh, uh, had came from a very different background. He came from a uh, his father was one of the leading uh, neo Hasidic figures of, of uh, Polish Jewry, Hillel Zeitlin. He came from a, a relatively uh, orthodox religious background, and uh, uh, and that really inspired a lot of his poetry. That was also in the beginning, in the twenties, also very influenced by modernism and by experimentation. What happened with these two poets is emblematic for a lot of other Yiddish writers uh, after the Holocaust, that they uh, had started out as modernists, as experimenting with language and genres and, and really wanted to bring Yiddish into the, into the cutting edge of, of, of aesthetic uh, uh, innovation uh, and very, very uh, familiar and inspired by similar trends in, 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 in other literatures. For uh, Gladstein, it was American, Anglo-American modernism. For Zeitlin, it was uh, a, a mix of mysticism and Kabbalah and, uh, and also uh, Polish literature, uh, and uh, he was well read in many languages. Uh, he was more, I would say, a central Eastern European uh, uh, intellectual and, and poet. So what happened to these writers after the Holocaust, after the destruction uh, of uh, European Jewry, was that they... Uh, they did not abandon their uh, experimentation, but there was a clearly an added uh, sensibility of, of coming to terms with the laws, of turning poetry into a vehicle for commemoration, for paying tribute to the past and paying tribute to a community that did not exist anymore in Eastern Europe. So we see that development very clearly with these two writers. And this is what I call, they kind of retrieved a lot of the, uh, the past uh, uh, achievements uh, of, of, uh, uh, of their communities, uh, while at the same time also bemoaning, commemorating uh, uh, the, the loss and in, in the same kind of uh, sensibility as we see with the, with the Yiska books, the, the mm-hmm. memorial books that I mentioned early on. Uh, and, uh, and that's the chapter. In, in that chapter, I really try to uh, describe this uh, poetic uh, uh, turn in their work. Uh, from a, a, a very radical modernism and experimentation to a much more kind of subdued elegy of of these communities that 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 uh, only existed in in the poetic memory now, uh, and and uh, and and that is very characteristic for this whole generation of what I call the 1945 generation of. Uh, Yiddish uh, uh, writers. 
Tell us about the Yiddish poetry series at the 92nd Street Y in New York. What what happened in the 60s was that because of a, a coincidence of various individuals, uh, particularly one individual who worked at the 92nd Street Y, he organized together with Gladstein, Jakob Gladstein, the poet, a series of poetry readings at the Y that uh, happened in the from 63 to 69 and often uh, some years, four or five, other years less. And here, uh, uh, these poetry readings features all the remaining Yiddish uh, writers, mostly poets that were still alive at the time. Many of them lived in New York City and were virtually unknown to the larger uh, uh, American literary community. And this was an opportunity for them to really uh, break into a, 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 a broader context of uh, literary trans- transmission. What, it, what, what happened was that they uh, actually did not really succeed in breaking through, except for uh, a couple of writers that were well-known also outside the Yiddish cultural circuit. And that is, of course, Isaac Bashevi Singer. Uh, he uh, participated in this book, in, in this uh, series of readings at the Y. And in his first presentation in '63, he read in Yiddish from his work. But in in other presentations later on, and he became a very popular presenter at the Y. He only read in English. So he, in, in a way, succeeded in breaking out of the Yiddish cultural world and, 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 and reach a, a younger uh, generation, um, of mostly of, of Jewish Americans that had very little knowledge of Yiddish, probably. Some of them more, more uh, some of them less. But I would say most of the other uh, uh, poets that read at the 92nd Street Y did not have the same kind of exposure. And it was really, they read for their own uh, constituency uh, of the same generation of mostly uh, Yiddish speakers, uh, some of them survivors. Uh, so it's, it's an, a very interesting document. And we, we are lucky that there's an audio recordings of most of these readings that I was uh, fortunate enough to get access to, and I used in my research, and uh, that I quote in this chapter. I I would like to see this, uh, these audio recordings that are uh, housed in the 92nd Street Y being made available online on on a, today, but it's not been possible so far. But I hope it will happen because it's a very uh, rich material, extremely good sound quality. And you, you simply you hear all the great Yiddish writers uh, uh, presenting their work, uh, often with introductions by uh, Yiddish literary critics. And you, most importantly, you can hear the atmosphere, the applause, the excitement in the room. And uh, so it gives you a sense of this culture of Yiddish in the 60s, 
uh, where it's it's really the last minute before it it is not there. It will disappear. Ten years later, it's almost non-existent. Well, that's uh, that's great, uh, Yen. We're just about uh, out of time. So thanks very much for um, talking to us about your book today. Uh, just before we let you go, uh, can you tell us a bit about what you're working on next? Yeah, uh, I'm working right now on a project uh, on uh, Isaac Bashevis Singer, which will consist of uh, a monograph, and also I'm working on anthology of Isaac Bashevis Singer's early writing from his Warsaw period that has never been uh, made available in English translation. What's exciting about this project is that there's a very well-organized and huge archive of Singer manuscripts and letters in, at the University of Texas, Austin, at this Harry Ransom Center. And uh, I have, I'm using that archive as, as the uh, basis for my research. I will be, probably next year, I will spend several months in Austin and also at YIVO working on this uh, on this project that will, as we say in Yiddish, hopefully Yitzhak Hashem will result in a monograph about Bashevi Singer, uh, his, his work particularly from the Yiddish work, but also looking at translation and, and world literature theory. And as well, uh, I will uh, compile this anthology of Singer's uh, early writing. Well, that sounds great. So we certainly hope uh, that you'll join us again on New Books in Jewish Studies to talk about uh, those works. So thanks very much again, Yen. You've been listening to New Books in Jewish Studies with your host, Max Kaiser. With us, we've had Yen Schwartz, uh, the Associate Professor of Yiddish Studies at Lund University in Sweden. And he talked to us about his new book, Survivors and Exiles, Yiddish Culture After the Holocaust, published in 2015 by Wayne State University Press. Thanks very much.